Uh, welcome again to the No Shit Show. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Conrad, and I've never had spam. Oh, I not that I'm, unless it was in a dish that I was unaware of, I have not ever cooked spam. It's not something that was uh, in our household growing up, and I'm just not aware of ever having it. Spam and Vienna sausages was like a staple in the house when I was a kid. I ate them all the time, especially when my mom was out of town. That's all my dad lives on. I'm Michelle, and um, I am sick of Zoom and Google Meet calls this week. I never want to see anyone's face on the internet again right now for the for the next five years. I I I bet you don't. I know my son has FaceTime with his teachers, and and uh, I know that uh, several people have hosted webinars and things like that, and. I'm sure it's starting to wear thin with a lot of folks. Yeah, I can't even do a self-deprecating take today. I'm just, I am so sick of those. And, and, you know, there's always that one person who never mutes their microphone. So you're hearing the constant feedback of everything going on in their house. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yep. And, of course, they're the one that asks the most questions, you know. Sure. And always that one right at the end. One more question. No, stop, Karen. Quit asking questions, Karen. <laughs> I hate you. There you go. I think everybody's, you know, I just sense overall people are really, really tired. And I know that, you know, I, I think you have so many different uh, takes out there at this point of what is the right thing to do, what the, you know, in every interpretation of what the CDC has to say and what politicians have to say and what is really happening in other countries. Are they seeing a resurgence? Aren't they? And and I've just heard so much information. I don't know what to believe. I, I do think that more people have had it than what we have I- any idea. I think some people are immune and I think it's still a very dangerous disease and we have to proceed with caution. Yeah, until we can get an antibody test that's cheap and reliable and everyone can get it done, we're not going to know the extent of it. I mean, I, no. I know, like, I don't know if you remember back in December, I was really, really ill with an upper respiratory infection. And I, I know they're saying mm-hmm. it's not COVID because it hadn't left China by then. But, you know, there's there's definitely been a lot of illnesses going around this year. And, you know, we, we definitely need to stay apart. But I just kind of wish, like, my gym was open. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do the ad this week? yeah i'll do the ad because that's like the only week. thing i'm prepared for so awesome. awesome team phoenix is a group of services designed to help startups small to mid-level content producers artists and business owners with the power of professional agency support for their growth services include graphic print and web design peer support in an audience whether you want to build your business or start a podcast team phoenix is there to support you so I'm going to start us off this week with uh, kind of multiple tweets here. And we're going to lead off with the win tweet, uh, the winning tweet. We're winning at the very beginning. Yeah. Winning at the beginning. So to introduce ourselves into the winning tweet, uh, I want to first start with New York Farmer or at NY Farmer on Twitter. I followed uh, her a while and I believe she's a lawyer yes. as well. And she's definitely what I would consider an advocate or an advocate for agriculture. She does a really great job with her social media, um, is a super person to talk to. She gets outside the bubble. She definitely is outside the bubble and is definitely fair-minded. And um, she's going to listen to things that she doesn't always agree with. And that, that is one of her, I would call that her, maybe her greatest strength is just that fair-mindedness. But she posts initially, and I think this is the first tweet you and I discussed, I see vegans on Facebook are mob harassing the farms in Orange County, New York, who have now been told they have no milk market. These are beautiful farms in close proximity, New York City. Which, you know, at this point during the week, we were starting to see a fair amount of milk dumpings on social media. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on later in the week. So that tweet was on the 2nd of April, and this is on the 8th of April. Uh, sat up state, farmers still dumping milk. 
Some in Orange County, right on top of New York City, have been dumping for 11 days. Why can't charities deal with this to get the free milk processed and distributed? Now, these were, in in my opinion, I mean, these were really tough uh, circumstances, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But also, Wynn decided to quote tweet that with her, uh, and it's Wynn Lair, at Ripple Creek NW on Twitter. No respect for the USDA or Secretary Sonny. Poor choicer. <laughs> 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 of appointee and a psychophant, sycophant, sycophant, sycophant to Trump, which I I finally just looked up what sycophant meant um, because I've not heard that word used readily, both in you know in any kind of media that I've consumed prior to Twitter, and she grossly misuses it. Oh, she she runs like a thesaurus through and grabs a anything yeah. that. Sounds yeah. smart enough for her word salad. Exactly. If you want solutions, Lorraine, start with the administration. I paid nearly double for cheese yesterday and milk is rationed. Yet support for an administration that gets everything wrong. I don't feel sorry for anyone that is a Trump supporter. They bring it on themselves. So we've got a lot right there. And I'm going to go ahead and go first. The milk dumping is really tough and it's heartbreaking and I hate it. And it's just hard to watch. And I've got so many people that I follow that they are, you know, it, I don't even have words to, to tell them how upset I am for what they're going through. I I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought 2019 was tough for me having to send product back, I can't imagine, you know, taking my seed corn or, or whatever product I was selling and just having to dump it on the ground in a total loss. So, and that's how I view it. At the same time, it's not just as simple as we can just move product from, uh, you know, stores or, or that was directed for restaurants and schools and, any other places that are being closed or their need for dairy is greatly reduced because of you know how their business works we can't just redirect that stuff immediately for a lot of reasons there's and and Derek Josie on Twitter is who kind of and Instagram is who kind of put this in my mind um, a little bit but there are supply chains. And basically, I'm to understand there are two. One that feeds the grocery stores and your wholesalers of food and that type of thing. And then another supply chain that feeds your restaurants and schools, et cetera, like that. And it's not easy to just take everything that's in those warehouses and everything those warehouses ship in that are in the supply chain that's being shut down and just ship it over to the grocery side for several reasons. One is warehouse space alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, a grocery store can only warehouse so much product at one time. They can't just snap their fingers and take double the amount of milk because that's where everybody's pulling milk from. They don't have the space. So that becomes an issue in and of itself. And you can't just leave refrigerated trucks parked out back until we need milk. I mean, there's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of moving parts that people aren't considering. And lest we forget, we're doing we're trying to divert all this with less people Mm -hmm. because we have so many people at home. So we don't have the boots on the ground to just pull it off in a whip stitch. That's the first thing people need to realize. And then as far as wins take, um, you know. What can I say? It's win. I mean, she's she wins every week. She looks for and... any reason to lay blame on on a certain person, and and it's not always just you know the administration of the country. It's it's been me. It's been uh, Kate. It's been someone else on Twitter. And I think it's funny is as you're saying, you cannot blame you know the higher ups in government right now for what 
would basically involve a mass overhaul of our infrastructure on some goods. And yeah, I think I interrupted you. So go ahead and finish. No, no, but you're spot, you're spot on with your point. And that's what I've seen from her basically when I was hunting for what yeah. was going to be our winning tweet this week. And it's just a blatant attack on the administration. And look, I don't, I'm not saying anybody has to agree with everything that the Trump administration says and does. I'm not saying you need to disagree with it. They're bound to get some stuff wrong, folks. Undubitably. Yeah. I And they're going to, they're going to get some stuff right. And that's like every single administration we've ever had. Yeah. And we're just seeing a major disruption in all supply chains right now. And everyone can look and blame one thing or the other. But the reality is with everyone home right now, whether it's toilet paper, whether it's milk, whether it's meat, and a lot of things we haven't even thought about yet, we have to switch over the production side and the processing side to make it useful for home. You know, why don't we have enough toilet paper right now for our homes? Well, most toilet paper, 40%. Is actually made for businesses, and the role is different. So it's not even they can sell that at the grocery store. They sell it by pallet, not by, you know, yep. cute little six roll package with a bear on it. And it's it's an unfortunate side effect of this pandemic. It's been a hundred years since we lived through a pandemic. And I think I said that last time. And hopefully we learned something this time that will help us our country out the next time it happens. Because I'm sure there was a growth curve back in 1918, but it's when's just look at me, look at me. <laughs> well, it's easy to stand on the sidelines and play armchair quarterback, um, and and we all do that. So, oh right? no, undoubtedly, but undoubtedly, <laughs> it's it's just a it's a situation where you know there are no right answers, and that's I think that's the hardest thing for people to wrap their arms around is that. When it, when it comes to the coronavirus and what we're dealing with as a nation, as a people of the world, there are no right answers, folks. There's nothing that you can point to and go, if we just do this, it all works and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. No, that there are going to be, and we're all, everyone is going to suffer. It's not like there's even going to be winners and losers, I I had that point made to me that, well, you know, it sucks to be on the losing end. There are no losers. There are no winners. Everybody is going to lose something. That's part of this. And it's hard to not look at it and go. And then it comes down to your priorities. What's most important to you? And I think there's been a lot of shaming uh, on both sides about, you know, will you care more about, uh, economics than you do people Mm -hmm. or you don't care about uh economics at all more people will suffer from that and when you start that pointing fingers and that that's not productive yeah i think i mean at the end of the day yeah all of it's important and yes all of it is suffering that's it Mm -hmm. and i think it's been a while since our country has dealt with something this magnitude my dad was born in during the great depression and then he was obviously a toddler and and an adolescent through world war ii and he talked about like it didn't matter if you were poor rich or anything everyone was doing without and everyone had to lack of better words take one for the team because there wasn't enough stuff to go around and so it made his generation very frugal and very um and very wise about how they spend their money and how they stock up on supplies. And I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm thinking that what we're experiencing in the world now will have a positive effect in my children that, cause we were going through a time of extravagance and trying to keep up the Joneses and having the best cell phones and going on vacations and overextending ourselves. And I think this will be good for, you know, our generation and the next few generations to realize you kind of have to bring it under control. A little side rant there. So let's go into the next tweet, uh, and I, I, I'm going to let you, because you're who showed me this initially anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been having insomnia a lot the last few weeks, so I found some interesting uh, uh, tweets and disagreements uh, late at night, and I'd be, you were probably on a tractor and I was sending them to you, but I came across the one that just <laughs> kind of, we talk about the rural-urban divide quite a bit. 
and, and not to say that like you know rural's better or urban's better but i think this is one of those situations that shows the difference in um how we perceive how people show up um on your property so uh, there was a young man he's a student i think at university of oregon and he's here from california and he has a business and there's a farmer up in Ellensburg who posted that he had a trespasser on his property. And so um, this guy, Jason Rucker, Rucker uh, he admitted it was him. And he said, what do you think I was looking for, Scott? That's weird because when you came up to my car and I explained to you what we were doing, you seemed like you believed what I was doing. And that's looking at land for sale by Wildemir. Wildemir. I can never say that. It's a local company that sells house, houses. Here's the link. Uh, to the land and it gave a Zillow link to backtrack. Uh, what happened is Scott had said that this guy had sped off really quickly and he had to flag him down to be able to talk to him. So Scott replied for the record, you were trespassing on my land. Jason, remember I sense you were looking for more than land today. I got your name and address. The authorities have been contacted and I wish you luck in your business, but respect people's property and no trespassing signs. The, the, the conversation went back and forth and, there were people commenting, like, how can you assume the worst seeing him on his land? And it goes back to, I, I made a tweet about it later. Like, if someone's, you walk into your apartment and someone is sitting on your couch, you're going to be alarmed. And if you have a house and you walk into your house and you see someone ba- sunbathing in your backyard, you're going to be alarmed. And same thing, if you have acreage and there's some random person on your acreage looking around or driving a car, you are going to be alarmed. It's all still private property. And just because the property is bigger, it does not mean that that person should be more welcoming of you being there. Being on the couch, the backyard, or on the back 40 is no different. Another topic that came up in there was um, one of his friends said, well, you saw the, uh, the business sign on the side of the vehicle. And I tried to explain to them, and they never responded back to me, that a lot of rural areas are cased by people who have phony work vehicles so they can um, figure out which properties they want to rob. It happens quite a bit out here. And in fact, after we flooded in February, um, all the way up in that river, down Walla Walla River Road, farms were robbed by people posing as a business. And I understand there's a difference in understanding the what's the word i'm looking for why landowners are so cautious about who comes out on their property but there are legitimate Mm -hmm. reasons why we're so cautious just because we live out in the country and we're little country bumpkins doesn't mean we're we're all that friendly to just random people showing up like the movies show and i saw your post uh you know your quote-unquote subtweet about this (laughs) And and it was spot on. And I think race was also brought up yes, it in, was. in this uh, because the trespasser happened to be African-American um, and the landowner is white. And so someone in their infinite wisdom uh, made that part of the conversation. These two initially did not. Neither one of them did, in fairness. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's private property period. Uh, We have private property and, you know, you're going to be confronted if you trespass on our property. Uh, I don't. And yes, we are super anal about people trespassing and we will prosecute to the full extent of the law. Uh, I don't really care about people's personal feelings when it comes to this. Uh, This is the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And it's just that's the end of it right there. Uh, I can't take any chances on my property. I have four kids and no, you're on my property. You're not supposed to be here. Something's going to happen. And that's how it is for us. We, we can't trust people and, you know, I'd love to be able to, but the world right now is not that way. I shared a story. What happened here was the dangers of assuming the best intentions of a person. Cause that's how they thought we were supposed to do it. We had an elderly woman out here um, about six or seven years ago. She was in her 80s. She was a widow, and she lived on a farm out on the other side of town. She had some people at late, or it was towards the end of the day, come on her property, trespassers, 
and she was nice to them. And for whatever reason, they asked to use her phone. She brought them in the house. And of course, nothing turned out good from there. They tied her up. They beat her. They robbed her. They left her for dead. And she died. And the saddest part is it took her a month to die from the injuries. It took a few days for her family wow. to find her. And so a few weeks ago, I think it was, seemed like it was right at the beginning or maybe it was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's so hard to keep track of time with this coronavirus, I think. I don't know what um, it is anymore. But uh, Ethan Frost, who is the president of the NCBA, correct? Uh, Ethan Lane. Ethan Lane? <laughs> Ethan Lane. Okay. I'm thinking of Lane Frost. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so confused now. Lane Frost. Who, he's he's enough, back. This is what our next tweet tweets about. Okay. So I'm going to preface this next tweet. Uh, Ethan Lane, who's the president of the NCBA, um, which is a mandatory checkoff for uh, beef producers, correct? Isn't it Nebraska beef, beef producers? Okay. I forget. Yeah, I, I do too. But anyway, um, addressed, you know, basically the issue that we are having is that beef prices are escalating at the supermarkets and ranchers are experiencing a, a and cattle beef producers are experiencing a low in the markets. Mm-hmm. And he spoke on CNBC. It was posed a question by the uh, host of the show that he was on about, well, you know, why are you asking the government for more money for cattle producers when beef's at an all-time high? I mean, how can that be? And he kind of sidestepped it. Um, And so he got called out in an op-ed by one of his employees, a letter to the editor, or by an employee of the NCBA. Which was uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Yeah. Oopsies. Yep. Yep. Sorry, Nebraska. And, yeah, yeah. You're, <laughs> you're not important anyway. Um, so, so Kinsey Johnston uh, called him out in an op-ed, and then she was let go. She was terminated. Mm-hmm. And the tweet that we're going to talk about is from the meat lady, a friend of the show. Um, at the underscore meat lady or meat underscore lady um, Kate is says if you work for a brand and you publish anti-brand commentary you will be reprimanded if you do it multiple times you will be fired freedom of speech does <clears throat> does not remove defamation concerns freedom of speech does not protect you from being fired for not fulfilling your job. And Eric Nelson uh, responded in his, but nothing the lady, Kinsey, said in her op-ed piece was false. An unfortunate event for the young lady, but for the rest of us, we got a view of how the NCBA and their minions operate. And even more important, how anti-cattlemen pro-packer the policies of the NCBA and Nebraska Cattlemen's is. That's why. So I'm going to let you go first. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. It's almost like the, like a classic modern whistleblower story. You have someone who works for the NCBA that is finding that there's an injustice going on with the Packers having their monopoly and, um, and the producers getting paid so little and they address it and, and they do a great thing for a lot of people and open their eyes. But unfortunately I also very much see things from Kate's point of view that when you're an employer of an organization, whether you are agree or disagree with an organization on a public front, you cannot make public stations like that statements like that because you are supposed to ride for the brand. It's kind of like with my education job, I have to be very careful very careful with what I say about education because if it's interpreted that I said it as a teacher I could get in trouble for what I said and I could be fired Mm -hmm. and so you know we have our freedom of speech but you have to be willing to deal with the repercussions of it Uh, okay so I I saw the interview before I saw Kinsey Johnston's 
op-ed piece. Uh-huh. I actually saw the interview the day that it came out from Ethan Lane on CNBC. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm going to address that first. That day, Ethan Lane should have been terminated. Uh-huh. And Honestly, if I'm a rancher, if I was a rancher, my understanding is the checkoff dollars to the NCBA are mandatory. But if you don't agree or you want those checkoff dollars back, you can fill out a form and get those checkoff dollars back. If I'm a a cattle producer, I'm doing that immediately. Mm -hmm. Until he is terminated, I want my money back. Because this guy is a shill for the Packers, and that's all he is. And so apparent on that show, and he just has no spine or backbone, and he ought to be cut, period. Uh, That said, your point is correct. He's out of line in calling him out on a public forum. Do I appreciate her for doing it? Yes. It Uh, took a lot of guts and heart to stand up and do that. And I think she was, she knew at some point, I mean, according to Kate's tweeted and first, she's done this more than once. Uh, he had to know at some point her career dis- dissipation light was blinking pretty hard there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but good on her for standing up for what she believed. And Ethan Lane's interview with CNBC, Kenzie Johnston has a backbone. So she, you know, some of the other organizations, uh, you know, it's a well-written, short, concise piece. Um, I think it's on uh, Tri-State Livestock News yes. and Letter to the Editor, A Squandered Opportunity. And if you, that's TSLN.com. And I, if you have the opportunity, I suggest you give it a read because unlike uh, in, you know, and that's the other thing I don't understand with the cattle. So that's not the only lobbyist group uh-huh. for beef producers. Uh, I think there's RCAF. Is that correct? There's RCAF and there's the NCBA and, and then. Yeah. yeah. And the NCBA, the NCBA, which we just talked about. And then there's one other one, uh, USCA. That's right. Um, and I think the USCA is laughing their fucking ass off right now at the NCBA. Yeah. And enjoying and loving life because they're, you know, the NCBA is just throwing themselves under the bus and they're basically uh, making it tough for ranchers to make a living. Uh, they need to just say what they are. You know, stop taking check off money from the ranchers. Get your check off money from the Packers because that's who you're ultimately lobbying for. You don't really give a shit about the ranchers. It's been funny That's watching the changes in the cattlemen's group. Because I remember when RCAF, uh, people talking about RCAF just a year ago, it was a complete different attitude. It was like they were the black sheep. They were the ones that everyone made fun of, kind of like the essential oil salesmen. And now suddenly a lot more people are more supportive of RCAF as um, the NCBA has been just shooting themselves in the foot left and right. So it's interesting watching the change in what the cattle groups are doing and, you know, how this plays out in the future. Cause you know, the cattlemen, they should be getting paid a lot right now. And they're having a hard time keeping beef on the shelves in our supermarket. And, you know, I think it's, and what some people have been talking about, it's a great time to start buying directly again, but of course you have to have the infrastructure for that. And yeah, and that's I've, a whole I've... nother can of worms. Yeah. And I've seen those posts and I see, I, I'm aware I've even helped pass around the website where you can register as a farmer or as a rancher and distribute your beef with potential buyers locally. I think that's a great concept. I will tell you that in my area of agriculture, I've been involved with those kind of websites where, you know, they connect uh, farmers with local retailers and it does not work as seamlessly as what you think. Um, What happens is, you actually wind up lower than what the set market was eventually is what happens because everybody starts, everybody goes on there and they're thinking, okay, I want a deal. Mm -hmm. And they're not looking for a premium brand. I mean, premium brand, you're going to need to set up your own website and actually put in a lot more dollars to develop that. 
Uh, I'm sure there are exceptions to that as well. But the the whole idea that, you know, just go around the Packers and make heaps of money and what's the big deal, that's a little bit It'll be hard. Uh, yeah, it would be hard to do. I think for right now, for some people just desperate to get meat on the table, because we don't know when we're going to be able to have regular stores again. But definitely in long run, it would take a lot of just reorganizing everything. And again, most people can't fit half a cow in their freezer. And that's not sold. Okay, so our next tweet, I think you've got it. I think you've got the next two. Okay, so the next tweet, this is something that (laughs) We're completely, we've been kind of ag heavy tonight, you know, after we swore we'd never. Well, kind of, but you know, these aren't just ag issues. True. In my opinion. Uh, Well, they, they impact everyone because we all, we're all making sure that our home is stocked with supplies, but I think we do something a little bit lighthearted because if anyone knows me, I love a good ghost story. Um, so I, I was like, let's talk about ghosts. And, and you are automatically thinking you and I are going to get in an argument. So I think this is why you want to do it. <laughs> so we're like, we need to find good ghost tweets. And ironically, or whatever the word is, no one talks about ghosts on Twitter. But I did find a really good piece of information from Shannon Sin. I do not have his um handle because your screenshot cut it off but it said theaters traditionally employ ghost light to appease or scare off spirits who haunt the building some say the light illuminates the stage so theatric ghosts can perform making them less likely to cause mischief others claim the lights frightens them off hashtag folklore thursday yeah i don't believe in ghosts um uh, you know, I've ghosted people probably and been ghosted, um, but I don't think that's the same thing. Um, I, I know there's like an island of the dolls in Mexico, and I've read about that and watched programs revolving around that, and that looks just creepy as hell. Dolls are creepy to be with. I hate dolls. Yeah, and clowns. Like, oh, fucking clowns scare the shit out of me, dude. So, paranormal activity is somewhat interesting to me, uh, but I don't believe in ghosts in part because I'm not easily scared. Um, I've never been good at going to scary movies and that type of thing because I get bored really, really quickly. And I've, I, you know, I know what's going to happen. Every scary movie I've ever seen is the same and except maybe saw um, same time. I would say that, I'm inclined to believe it can't always be happenstance when weird things happen that I just, I'll say that, that there are, there's a great deal about the universe and, you know, life and that type of thing. And afterlife that we don't know that much. I'm sure of. Have you ever seen a show called ghost adventures? No. Okay. So it's been oh, it's been on for forever. So it's this guy Zach Fagan, and uh, he investigates ghost stories and, and supposed hauntings. Now, I, I'm a very rational person. I I am ninety eight point nine percent confident that ghosts aren't real. That there is a legitimate explanation for it. With that one point one percent of me that the Irish sneaks through, you know, like goes what if. And so I love watching ghost shows and this one called ghost adventures. They, they like set up these investigations where they tape the floor and they set up secret cab cameras and everything to record it. And I love doing it because I always, I always kind of heckle the people they interview because there's always interesting characters and nine times out of 10, anyone they interview is very interesting. And then, and then what's funny is when they're doing the investigations, every, all that actually ends up happening is Zach is trying to record and be serious and his helpers all start screaming like little bitches and being scared anytime some little creek happens and wherever they're investigating. <laughs> so you hear these grown men squealing and running and it's the greatest because it makes you feel so much better about yourself. <laughs> well, that that I would, that I'd probably tune in for. <laughs> there, there are some great ghost shows. <laughs> I love, uh, we've talked about them over the years on Twitter, especially, uh, uh, you know, at me and Kitty and I. And so there's some great things, but, you know, I've always kind of had this theory about ghosts, uh, you know, that 
they're not necessarily like you know the spirits living on but it's just memories and if you think about the first photographs the first photographs were made of metals found in earth so who's to say that you know the metals inside the ground maybe can reflect memories every once in a while because it's basically how the first photographs occurred that's my only been my logical explanation to explain you know what can be perceived as a haunting i guarantee there's some scientific explanation behind it but it's kind of fun to wonder there's yeah so there was one thing that happened in my life that i can't explain um so I was, uh, when I was 16, I got my driver's license, uh, you know, just like every normal 16 year old in the United States of America, or not, I guess not everybody, but in rural United States yeah. of America, many people get their driver's license when they're 16. And that summer I was working for my folks and I got into a really heated argument with my dad and I left where I was working and I had the radio all the way up and my windows up and air conditioner on full blast because it's so hot out and I was sweating and I was tired and I was really upset and pissed and teenage hormones raging and I go to cross a set of railroad tracks and I get this funny feeling and I look out the passenger side window and there's a train. And I slammed on the gas and the train clipped the taillight of my truck uh, just right before the taillight of my truck, spun the truck around twice, knocked the spare tire out from underneath the truck about 150 yards. And I walked away from the accident. I'm telling you that story uh, because later that day, I saw a friend of mine named Aaron Reed Uh and he had already heard about it. His dad was a farmer and we had, you know, we knew each other well and he'd already heard about it and commented to me. And, you know, I think I was with my mom at the store or something. And, you know, he's like, man, I go across a set of tracks and I, I just, you know, I don't pay attention every time. And this will, I'll start paying attention. And Aaron was a year older than me and, you know, uh, going to be a senior and I was going to be a junior. And, a year goes by and I'm a senior and Aaron's out of high school and he's working at the local feed mill and it's spring. And one April morning, he went home for lunch and got hit by a train and he didn't, he wasn't as lucky. Uh-huh. And, uh, he, and he passed away that day. And it was, it was a really, really hard time in my high school. Um, cause he was a very popular person very good person and you know uh, I even wrote a poem about him that wound up in our yearbook that year and he so Aaron you know we we go through that and it's a couple of months later and I wake up at two o'clock in the morning one night and I s- had the song don't speak by no doubt mm-hmm. Still in my head from my dream, and Aaron was in my dream. And when I first woke up, I swore I could see him like, see his the outline of him in the shadows. And but even then, you know, as a rational person, I was trying to shake it off. And I get up, you know, and I thought, oh, I'll go get a glass of water, I'll turn on my stereo. and as soon as I turn on the stereo and I hit the power button, the song Don't Speak picks up right where oh, so right where it was in my head. And like it just stopped me cold. Like I've never had an experience like that before or since. And I wouldn't believe like anybody who's listening right now and doesn't believe me, I'm perfectly okay with that. Because I wouldn't believe you either. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I'm serious. I, I, you know, I, I just don't believe that kind of stuff. I've had a, quite a few things in my life I can't, you know, really explain, and you know, I don't talk about them too much because a, I'm rational, and b, I don't want everyone to think I'm the crazy lady who sees things. But um, you know, I, I've always been a night owl, and a lot of it ends up me 
talking about how I'm up all night a lot when we talk on our podcast. Um, mm-hmm. When the twins were infants, um, they shared a crib. And uh, this was back when I was still living in California on my ex's family farm. And we had a little house and um, the twins had their own room together. And I would be out in the kitchen doing stuff, you know, usually pumping. And Kate, I would, she was not a happy baby normally. She, she, you know, you, you just have that kid, you know, you have the happy kids and you have the grumpy kids. She was a grumpy kid. Yeah. You know, nothing ever made her happy. If she, you weren't paying attention hundred percent, she was crying and everything. But this happened a few nights in a row where I'd hear her cooing and laughing and wide awake in her room in the middle of the night. And it was almost telling like someone was paying attention to her. And, you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, this is really weird. So I'm waiting to hear it crying and it never happens. It stops. And then I check on on later. She's asleep. I'm like, okay, that's weird. And it happened again. And I was chicken shit. And I didn't check on her. So the third time it happens, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I need to go in. And so I go running into the room. She's happy as can be. Why do we, and I get in there and I like run in really concerned and I shit you not, the room smelled like cigarette smoke. And I don't smoke, my ex didn't smoke, but my grandmother did smoke. And mm-hmm. she, you know, she had died, you know, 15 years prior and it smelled, my, and I, there was a pungent smell to my grand- grandmother's cigarette smoke because she cheap smoked these cheap uh cheap ass cigarettes that came from like circle k or something and mm-hmm. they did not smell good like marlboros and so it smelled <laughs> like her cigarettes and i was like and i don't know if it was like my imagination hoping you know maybe grandma was visiting but like that scared the living crap out of me and then of course as i the, the scent was gone and and kate was happy and oh you're here feed me but it was just really strange because she was not a happy baby and in the middle of the night suddenly she's happy and cooing and like she was playing with somebody it was it, it scared the crap out of me <laughs> and so years later i still wonder about it you know people can think i'm a crazy lady but you know who knows who really knows that's the thing is that i you know they say perception is reality and at the end of the day you know that night for me was a night I guess in a weird way, it, it helped me heal a little yeah. bit. And it gave me a connection that maybe I didn't feel before that I needed. I don't know. The closure, you know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, know, closure and it, that, you know, maybe my grandmother getting to see her yes. grandchildren she never got to meet, you know. Right. I mean, we don't know. And at the end of the day, if it makes you feel better, if it makes someone feel better, then that's not a bad thing. Exactly. You know? And and also, you know, some of the things like I'm not a very religious person, but I don't ever, you know, I try not to crap on anyone's religious philosophy because, you know, it's what makes them feel good. It is. And I've, you know, I've tried to, you know, that that's something we should say for another show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that whole thing. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll find a post sometime that we can, we can sound off on the different thoughts about that. Yeah. So you've got one more for tonight. Right? Well, it's kind of closing off, kind of going with the times we're in and something just kind of think about. Um, so there was an exchange where um, a reporter was kind of reporting about celebrities making um, the COVID crisis almost like a vacation. And um, this one, they were complaining that Megan Kelly was uh, at her second home in Montana. And um, so this gentleman, Jack Hawkins, uh, his uh, handles at Boulder Hawk, tells her, um, you don't own Montana or Idaho or anything else. Just because you've uh, chosen to live there doesn't mean it's yours. This is a free country. Megan Kelly or anyone else has the right to buy a ranch and play cowboy if they'd like. Get used to it. <sighs> and so... It was a really good discussion because, and Rachel, who I mentioned on our last podcast, who was a, yeah. um, a rancher, Rachel the Great, she's a rancher and she's an EMT in very rural Montana. She pointed out that, yes, they have that property, but the local small hospitals are not equipped to deal with that influx of people that are coming in to hide with, from the virus. And so- sure. I agree. You know what? You, I think it's awesome people have second and third homes. I wish I was motivated enough to make enough money so I could have multiple homes and fly everywhere. 
but at the same well time, michelle we've we've made with that with that uh with the ad i do at the beginning of the show we've made five dollars and 35 cents yes so. i can get a dutch brothers you can't. There you go. I can't. You know, I just <laughs> I just wanted people to be aware of how rich we're getting making this podcast. Rolling in the dough. Yes. Jealous. Yes. I know. <laughs> but I think, you know, you, you have to also be cognizant that like your your main address is where your census says you are. And that's how hospital beds and hospital layouts and all that infrastructure is laid out. So people are flooding from areas of high population to low population to avoid this virus. Yeah, you want people to spread out, but you're also overloading areas that are not equipped to deal with extra people. And I think people, this goes back to the discussion we keep having. Yes, you have a lot of individual rights, but you need to do the right thing and choose what's best for everyone else. And overrunning a hospital is not what's best for everyone else. I don't disagree, but won't a hospital in New York also be overrun? Well, it's if you're overrunning, you know, 100 beds compared to two, you know, yeah, yeah, you're I, more likely to get a, a spot on 100 but on a place with 100 beds and a spot, spot with only two. Sure. I, I 100% agree. I, you know, I see both sides of this tweet. I, at the end of the day, I don't. To me, the original poster just wanted to pick on Megan Kelly. Oh, definitely. Okay, definitely. Um, that it. that was the intent. Had Michelle Obama tweeted that, not an area word would have yeah. been said by that poster. So that that poster was looking for you know mm-hmm. some something to get their teeth into Megan Kelly on. And yeah, I'm no huge Megan Kelly fan for, for that matter, but I always. You know, I don't know what the right answer is there. I don't again, we're back to that same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where there isn't a correct answer. Obviously, I see Rachel's point and she would know more about it from that aspect than I, I would or anyone would really not related to the medical field in Montana um, in rural Montana. Uh, I just I can definitely see the issues. I would hope that if someone like Megan Kelly chose to isolate themselves at a second home in Montana, that they were going with as much knowledge as possible that they were okay. Mm-hmm. And that they were really going to take care to stay okay and respect the rules of social distancing. What I would worry about someone like Megan Kelly is getting to Montana and relaxing about the social distancing because they would feel a, a sense of false security. Mm-hmm. So that would be my more concern. But if if she can legitimately go or anyone can legitimately go in reasonable health and as they're aware of as much as they can be and truly isolate themselves, be prepared to spend a month Alone. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I don't think if you're going to do that, it's something you need to announce either. Yeah. Just saying. I, it's, it's you know, talking about like, you know, <laughs> being tone deaf. Like if obviously you're now in a hard time right now, you, you don't want to advertise that you have certain luxuries that people don't have. And, you know, I, I have a disclaimer here because <laughs> I, I just to make sure like people listening realize I pretty much don't trust any politician and I do not trust any reporter, whether what side of the spectrum and the political scale they are. So the things I would say about one politician, I would definitely have questions about the other. And same thing with with all these these news reporters. I've gotten to the point where I'm turning into my father, basically. Well, my biggest challenge is and I, I think we've discussed this on another show, but I have never understood why people can't hold the side that they agree with or the politicians that they vote for more accountable. I mean, if I voted for someone, I am 10 times more likely to ride them about what they do wrong than someone I voted against because someone I voted against, I expect to do a fair amount of things. I don't agree with. I voted against them after all. Yeah. Somebody that I voted for, that's a whole different 
set of issues. I have a higher expectation for that individual. Therefore, I'm going to be more critical. Yet most people go the opposite way. And I've never understood that. I've never gotten it through my head. I mean, I wouldn't hire an employee and then go, well, you're here. So whatever you do is fine. (laughs) Right? I mean, holy Christ. How does that... How? What the hell's wrong with people? It's almost like they're embarrassed that they voted for them, so they have to look for ways to justify it or stick their head in the sand. And uh, you know, as I well, then they shouldn't be running a business because that's not how you run a business. <laughs> not at all. And, and that could be argued why government keeps failing is because not enough people run it like a true business. Well, and uh, unfortunately, you can even hire a business person, and they don't seem to get it. Yeah. So, Very who true. knows? I mean, we've got one in our state. Uh, that's running the state that doesn't seem to get it as well. So I'm not just picking on the Republicans, <laughs> picking on the Democrats too. Um, they've got them both on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, we all um, know Oregon politics in the last year has uh, made national forefront. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's the Our thing. missing state senators. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that was awesome. <laughs> Oh man. So that uh but yeah, well I think that's all our tweets for the show. Yeah. Uh, I hope everybody out there is staying healthy as they can, trying to respect the rules whether you agree with them or not. Um, you know, trying to be as good as you can be with all of this. Really feel for the people that have had sick loved ones. I know you do too, Michelle. Um and feeling for the people that are going through hard times economically with all this. No one is unaffected. And then I feel awful for the people who can't even work right now that want to. It's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, hopefully this will end soon. And, you know, I don't think life Try will to... ever go back to normal, but we'll learn a new normal where we appreciate things a lot more and, and make some changes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Treat this as a learning curve. But... Start to, start to repair and yep. rebuild and and you know we come back stronger that's the whole thing we should we should want to come back stronger i feel like we're giving a little league pep talk to like eight-year-old boys yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll win this on, one guys. you'll win this one rock and fire <laughs> they're gonna get clobbered <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you guys All find right. any good tweets, please, please, please send, uh, hashtag the no shit show. Otherwise, you keep yes. getting stuff that Conrad and I find hilarious or interesting. And, and uh, you know, it, it, and so we're the only two people that are happy listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my mom five times, you know. 